Hello and welcome to the third episode of the RJC podcast, Creating Beautiful. I'm Iris van der Wieken, and in this episode, we speak with Elliot Tannenbau, senior partner of the Leo Schechter Diamond Group. Elliot joined the group in 1974 and has directed and managed every aspect of its integrated businesses through its three-decade journey to becoming a global enterprise. He's responsible for developing marketing, consumer-relevant product development, and branding techniques that are responsible for the group's many successes. He also serves on the board for Diamonds Do Good, an initiative very close to my heart. Elliot, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It's really a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Elliot, I'm really fascinated by the story of how Leo Schechter has grown from its roots as a family business to one of the leading suppliers of diamonds to major jewelry brands, while championing also the course of responsible sourcing. So I would be very interesting to hear a little bit about how you think of ethical sourcing and also how your corporate culture is tied into it. Um, I guess the best place to start then is in the beginning. Leo Schachter, of course, is my father-in-law. Uh, he founded the company uh, almost, we're just shy of uh, six months of, of 70 years. Um, he uh, learned the trade from his father. So we are a four-generation business now with my son uh, moving into the helm and taking over the business um, as, I, um, as I look to the future. Um, I would say that the... Um, the important thread, the important link here is, of course, with Leo Schachter himself. Um, Leo always considered uh, the connection to the consumer uh, to be the critical part of the success of his business. And he operated in the early days a very large factory on 47th Street, manufacturing larger diamonds. And of course, that migrated to Israel, uh, where we uh, established uh, cutting facilities and quite a large uh, trading business. And for many years, were the largest uh, exporters in Israel. But Leo himself was very hands-on. And he always gave over the importance of having uh, the mindset of what's important to the consumer. And uh, trying to understand uh, uh, not only what your wholesale customer might want, but what his retail customer wanted is more important because the, we have a consumer product and we have a product which um, is given for a, a love occasion. It's given for an emotional occasion. And so it has to come along with many benefits other than just a, um, a commodity. And so therefore he applied a very individual uh, technique and added towards, attitude towards every diamond that he cut. And when we uh, migrated, I, I started in the business in America and migrated to Israel almost 40 years ago. And I think that when we um, uh, adopted this very same technique in Israel of looking at every diamond very individually, at that time we would send people from Israel to New York to be trained. And we would, they would then become the managers of our factory because it was very important for them to adopt this attitude and to get it firsthand. And I think that that's where the roots of the company are in how we view the diamond product, its connection to the consumer. And, and I think that uh, while it 
is a um, important trading business and a negotiating business, but there's a soft side of the business of where the diamond actually winds up and uh, being conscious of that at every point, making sure that every point of a very expensive commodity and a very lovely commodity is dealt with in, in uh, the most attentive way possible, not only in the cutting process, but it begins in the sourcing process. And it travels down the pipeline from sourcing through uh, polishing and planning to uh, getting its certificate of identification and winding up on a woman's, fig a woman's finger, um, understanding that each of those stages is done with the right kind of loving care, uh, I think is what uh, has been a very big success of our business. And uh, it has what has made us understand diamond products or what people call diamond branding better. It, uh, it's helped us get, uh, get inside the head of the consumer all along the pipeline. And, um, and I think that that's really what has helped us, allowed us to differentiate ourselves from the many different diamond cut companies that there are. And it's helped make us successful over now four generations. Thanks, Elliot. And I think it's super interesting what you're saying about um, Leo Schechter, because today, if you look at, you know, all the trends, all the reports, Harvard Business Review talks about, we need to have leaders with purpose. But when I hear your story, uh, you know, Leo had that vision of purpose from the start and bringing that family business to the next generation. So that's very inspiring. And you touched upon it already in, in the first question, but, you know, what do you do really to ensure that transparency in the diamond supply chain? Well, I think um, we do it on two different levels. Uh, on, on, a, on the first level, we engage with the various different groups and committees that exist within the, that exist within the industry. RJC, of course. Uh, and you know this firsthand for me, RJC, of course, uh, is, is uh, critical in this process because it's an organization that was started by the industry for the, for the sake of helping make the industry very transparent. Uh, but before the RJC, there was the World Diamond Council and there were other organizations that, uh, that were important, each one in their own niche of the business. And uh, when, when was necessary, Uh, the Kimberley process uh, brought the industry through a very difficult, what, what might have been a very difficult period. And so I think that we engage and have been a part of, and, on, and we are, we have our CEO in New York is an active board member of RJC. And we are, every, every senior person in the company shares the responsibility in different committees and groups within the industry so that we listen to what our colleagues say and we try to have our voice heard so that we can have input in each of them. Um, the Signet Jewelers, the, the largest jeweler in the world, has its, its uh, system of protocol of which we were um, uh, invited to uh, uh, voice uh, our, our uh, uh, guidance in, in when they established it several years ago. Uh, and then on the individual level, we have our Leo Schachter uh, uh, protocol And uh, we oblige all of our vendors uh, to participate and to sign. We won't buy, we won't do business with any supplier in any, in any of the various different things that we, that we use, whether it's diamond or other products, 
if they don't uh, um, go along with the Leo Schachter uh, supply protocol. And so on those two levels, um, formally, uh, that's, how, that's how we assure ourselves and then are able to assure our customers as well. Thanks, Elliot, because when, when uh, um, the people listening to this podcast will you know, talk about sustainability and how to start the journey, I think it's great that indeed often people forget you know, multi-stakeholder consultation is critical, working in partnership with different organizations for the common good, which is trust and transparency in the industry. And at the second level, when you really drive that positive change to your wider network and educate your suppliers to understand how important it is that they contribute uh, to a responsible supply chain, that, of course, is very meaningful to finally bring uh, the consumer that trust when they buy a beautiful uh, piece of jewelry. Um, looking at the industry today, uh, Elliot, can you tell a bit about what you consider as the core challenges facing companies such as yours in the road towards building a sustainable, transparent supply chain? Well, obviously, the key, the most important or challenging part is having assurance yourself that every diamond that you buy or every product that you buy, in our case, it's principally diamonds, is uh, ethically sourced. And um, you, you set a target for yourself to be sure that you're adhering to that in every way possible. I think the first step that you have to take is to admit to yourself that like many things in life, nothing is attainable from the get-go and that you can begin going down a path uh, in which you can assure yourself initially of 40% and 50% and 80%, but to achieve 100%, which we must achieve and which each individual firm in the in and the industry must achieve is a, is a path. And while we can embark upon that, that path with a target and with a date on which we, ex which we plan to be uh, fully compliant, we have to admit to ourselves that it may, it, it, although let's say in the, in the example, it's very hard or maybe almost impossible in today's world not to be able to identify uh, a diamond that you would rather not have in your pipeline. But in order to assure it, there has to be, there have to be other safeguards, other assurances in the certification process of which you're sure. And you can apply, as I started to say earlier, you can apply different levels of assurity as time goes on. I think the worst thing that you can do is to promise something to the consumer that is uh, just that, just a promise and say that you're doing something that you're not actually doing. I think consumers can understand reality of being almost there, but not quite there, and would probably appreciate more hearing that we are almost all the way there and with the expectation of getting there in, uh, in one year or five years or 10 years, whatever, whatever the realistic true uh, expectation is. I think the worst thing we can do is to mislead the consumer. Uh, with, with false promises. Uh, thank you, Elliot. And I think you're very right. And often sometimes, you know, I get questions raised to, to say, to ask. So when companies are RDC certified, that means it's a perfect supply chain. And then I respond, no, because the world is imperfect. But what I do know is that when uh, leaders join the RGC, first of all, they have the commitment to bring positive change. And second, 
They're willing to implement management systems as a process of continuous improvement, which my chairman, Mr. David Buffar, always shares, because it is a long journey of very hard work and it takes time. Um, so it's, it's, it's good you know, to also understand from you how that journey is evolving. Thank you for that. I'm also very intrigued by the story of the unique Leo Diamond and would love to hear more about it. Uh, and also how the artisans involved have played a role in literally shaping that journey, Elliot. Uh, the Leo Diamond, uh, the thought process behind the Leo Diamond began uh, in the mid-1990s when there was a tremendous competition uh, amongst uh, three or four large uh, diamond manufacturers who were all uh, seeking market share in the American market. And uh, at that time, there wasn't one massive leader retailer as there is today, but there were many uh, regional retailers, many, many chains between 50 stores and, uh, and 400 stores. And um, as I said, uh, each one, each of these four or five different uh, diamond companies would literally compete tooth and nail. And, and eventually we caused a deflationary price cycle amongst ourselves, uh, which, the, which the retailer didn't take advantage of, but passed it on to the consumer. And that helped cycle prices declining prices in, in, in the industry, which was unhealthy for everyone. And I theorized, uh, again, under the guidance of Leo Schachter himself, but I, I theorized that if we could get the consumer coming in and asking for our product, rather than us talking only about price, then we would have something that would be, that would be special. We were very fortunate to have a retail stakeholder or partner at the time whose business, because of the, the, the amount of interaction we had with them, whose business we understood well. We understood that their, biz, their system of uh, discussing features and benefits with their consumer was critical in their selling system. At the same time, uh, Leo himself had been working on uh, coming up with a diamond that uh, was actually more brilliant than uh, the, the, the classic diamond that was being cut. Again, remember that his background was the finicky market of uh, New York City and then transferred over to the mass market of Tel Aviv. And uh, he, taught, he taught this process to some of our, our manufacturing leaders in Israel. And we actually came up with a diamond that was more brilliant. And rather than get into a selling scheme or an argument of is it more, isn't it more, at about the same time, there was a company called Gemex that developed a computer-based uh, uh, visual system of measuring the brilliance that's emanating from the stone. And so we were able to not only give our word, which is very important to the consumer and which the consumer could see, but we were able to verify that the diamonds that we were calling these specially cut, more brilliant diamonds were verified by a computer system. And um, it turned out uh, that together with the great selling system of the retailer, uh, we, uh, we were able to give the consumer what they really wanted when they bought a diamond. And that is the most brilliant diamond that they could have. And uh, we were very fortunate. Uh, it, uh, it took off uh, quite quickly and uh, now has been around for 20, 21 or 22 years. Uh, it has expanded into different aspects and other innovations. I, uh, we, we have uh, an innovation that uses nanotechnology 
that uh, allows us to um, uh, uh, divide the colors that come into the diamond and make them visual in the rainbow set uh, uh, to the consumer's eye. And it's something very unique, and uh, and uh, it, it has been able, it allowed us to widen the choice uh, for consumers. And uh, and I think that that's what consumerism is all about: having a wider choice. And uh, that's that's where the Leo is from. Well, I think that's an amazing story, and probably the most brilliant stories is what we need because if we look at the uh, uh, inside report of the Bears that's focused this year on sustainability worldwide and the consumers, we know that this younger consumer, the millennials, the Gen Z, are looking for that purpose and they're looking for that story and they're looking for the values behind that story and how companies are implementing sustainability. Um, so I also would love to hear, you know, your views on this and, and how that evolution of that behavior of the consumer has impacted some of the work that you're doing. I think that the consumer has voted uh, for uh, irrevocably for sustainability. I think that these last two years have raised the consciousness of um, people that probably even didn't consider uh, the importance of sustainability. Not only have we seen uh, uh, sickness and uh, weather changes, uh, but we've seen dramatic, uh, uh, dramatic uh, changes in the way we work, dramatic changes in, in how we see the world evolving. And so I think that where uh, many people, or maybe even most, most people, were coarse or, or, or uh, uh, insensitive to our planet, I think that now, finally, it has really touched everyone. And I think that in order to give the consumer what they want, consumers, when they buy anything, they want, they, they, there are various different touch points for them. If they're buying uh, a luxury product on Fifth Avenue, then they'll consider color and style. And now, all of a sudden, the one of the main questions being asked is where and how is it being made and where and how is it being sourced from and so the consumer uh isn't really giving us a choice we have to integrate the story of our manufacturing process of our sourcing process in order to give consumer confidence that we're treating the world that he lives in and that he wants his children to live in um, uh, to be the most, uh, uh, the greenest, the most forward-looking and the safest that we can be. And fortunately, I think for all of us, maybe, maybe this uh, pandemic will, will turn out to be for the best if it helped uh, also sharpen our awareness for looking into the future and, uh, and not pushing aside uh, environmental considerations and ethical considerations and, and paying much more attention to them if we want to do good business and the consumer is helping us vote. Well, um, yesterday uh, I had a, 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 the podcast with uh, Suzanne Jack, and we were talking about that same evolution of that consumer behavior, but at the same time, also the movement, Elliot, you're talking about. And interesting for you to know is that during the pandemic, the growth of RJC has accelerated. So we have grown almost 20%. Well, we didn't know how companies were going to react. So we also realized that, indeed, luckily, companies are starting to understand 
responsible business is resilient business. And I think that's very good, not only for the company itself to protect its reputation, but also to deliver to that promise to the consumer. And when we talk about sustainability at the heart uh, of, of everything that a company can do or should do, we think about positive impact, communities, development. Um, and that brings me to the 17 sustainable development goals, which is about leaving no one behind and where we believe that business has a role to play. And I know that uh, Leo Schechter is a big believer in giving back to the communities where it does business. Can you give us a bit more insight of that, Elliot? Yeah, I guess um, uh, I guess the best place to point to is um, our activity in Africa and specifically our activity in Botswana. Uh, we were either the first or second factory uh, to establish ourselves, polished, diamond polishing factory, to establish ourselves in Botswana. We chose not to be in the main city of Gaborón, but to be in uh, one of the uh, small villages about uh, 40 minutes outside of Gaborón where we felt that we would have uh, uh, some better contact with the community itself. And at that time, I'm going back uh, probably 23 or 24 years to 1997, uh, Botswana was quite rustic. There were, um, there, were very few, uh, there, were, there were very few hotels, there were very few roads, there were very few schools. Um, I think uh, the statistic is something like there were 30 schools in Botswana at the time, and now there are 300. We have to remind ourselves that uh, the uh, uh, AIDS epidemic was raging around the world, and perhaps Botswana uh, was the epicenter of that in Africa. I remember that when we started our factory, we had, uh, we had to have two nurses and one full-time doctor. And uh, unfortunately, in the early years, we counted the amount of people that we lost uh, to AIDS. We, as a result, became very involved with a local orphanage in this same town. And the, the orphanage is actually quite sensitive because you only have an orphanage because parents uh, pass away. And the, these parents, unfortunately, were all lost to AIDS. And uh, at, at a very early stage in that, in that period, we became involved uh, with that orphanage, made sure that they had all the equipment that they needed and, were, and, and had all the things that, that they needed. We, we felt coming from a Western, such a Western country as America and, and, or from Israel, where, where I live, uh, traveling to Africa was stepping into another world, another planet. And, and there was level of responsibility was important and critical to, uh, to what we were doing, not only uh, going to Botswana to buy diamonds and polish them, but ra rather to have our hand in the community. And, um, and, th and this became something that we were active with from the beginning until this very day. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing this. Um, I guess a final thought, Elliot, you know, uh, often uh, we have companies reaching out to us uh, that can be smaller companies, startup designers um, that say, well, Iris, you know, uh, I'm just at the early stage of my sustainability journey. Um, I don't know, you know, uh, how to really start it. Uh, it's a bit scary. Uh, I'm a bit concerned how to do, you know, how to do this. I mean, what is your, some of your advice that you can give you know, to companies in our industry that are starting off uh, in their sustainability journey? Well, to be honest with you, I'm, I think we're just as concerned. We're just as scared. 
I think that it's an unknown territory. And uh, since you had Susan there yesterday, she would make you aware that we have conversations all the time. Uh, we're very good friends and active together. And we have conversations all the time on what innovation we can look for to try to definitively identify where climates come from and how important that is and how important it is to uh, uh, make sure that one's pipeline is perfectly clean. And so, yes, we're scared about the potential of any pollution along the way because we make a promise along with our name and along with our product, we make a promise to the consumer that everything is just the way it should be. And so we're, as I keep repeating, equally scared that somewhere our guard would fall down and, and we, would let, we would let someone down. So I think being scared is a good thing because it makes you look a second time and a third time. Uh, all you can do, and we do a lot of reading on the subject, there's a lot on the internet, there's a, particularly a lot on the internet regarding luxury goods and how important sustainability has become to the large luxury good company, companies, how much they're paying to acquire companies that are fully sustainable. And so there actually is a rainbow at the end of this storm, which could be very positive for the companies that care enough to follow it and see it down to the end, and for the consumer, which will prefer be uh, in, in, his, in his consumerism, will be making a better world by, by his choices. Yeah, and, and for those people that are listening uh, today, uh, I invite you to go to the RGC website, where we, of course, have all the material available uh, for the whole industry, but also we have launched some uh, tools to start off your sustainability journey. So really the step-by-step -step process, what steps you can take. Um, so uh, I would invite you to join uh, and, and look at that website. Well, Elliot, uh, I, I learned a lot. Uh, I always learn a lot when I talk to you, but I must say this has been a really inspiring conversation. Uh, allow me to thank you for your leadership and also uh, your approach to partnerships. Um, it's, it's only collectively that we can really build that change in the industry. Uh, I wish you a lot of success in your further journey. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to talk with you.